Before we begin our second season, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the current political moment. To start, we want to state for the record that we both strongly support Black Lives Matter. We also want to be clear that we both take it to be an uncontroversial fact that we live in a white supremacy. This isn't a controversial term in academia, in particular when it comes to critical race theory. It's used to refer to the way that our world is structured, namely that society is built to favor white people. One reason that people resist the term, I think, is that it sounds like we're saying that society is a compilation of white supremacists as though secretly in our hearts, we actively wish for the dominance of the white race. And that's a very psychologistic way of looking at things and is just inaccurate. Acknowledging that we live in a white supremacy doesn't have anything to do with everyone secretly actively wishing for the oppression of non-whites. In fact, part of the problem is that to white people, the ease we have compared to other races is invisible to us. We don't even notice it and it seems normal. And just a quick word about privilege. That's not to say that everyone who's white or a man has it easy or is automatically successful. This is a common misconception. We have positive associations with privilege where often you'll hear people use it in a sentence like, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to do this thing that we're actively grateful for. And so I think part of what trips people up about privilege is that it's not a thing we're registering and that's part of the problem. What it means is because of your identity, you have had the fewest impediments. That's just a better way to think about it. And it's hard to register because what you don't see is how many more impediments everyone else has because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or their class or their disability or whatever. To begin to reckon with the fact that we live in a white supremacy, we have to be able to question what we see as normal, to question a lot of what we take for granted. That involves a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of watching YouTube lectures and documentaries. We don't have one or two things to unlearn. We have to reorient our sense of the whole picture. That also means questioning which stories we tell and how we tell them. A lot of what we do on this podcast is about questioning the history of male-dominated stories, which mainly relegate women to secondary characters. In the last episode of our first season, we talked about Spike Lee's 1986 film, She's Gotta Have It, and our discussion included mention of the white gaze, which is just as important to keep in mind. Our Western canon has long been held up as significant in part, so the story goes, because it offers a timeless universal insight into what being human means. The problem is most of those stories are about white men and that becomes a problem when we start to see whiteness and maleness as the essential humanity because other stories seem less universally relevant. How often have you heard a man say, oh that's a story about a woman, I wouldn't know how to relate to it. Meanwhile, I've never heard a woman say the same thing about a story featuring a male protagonist. What we need to do is question what we find easily relatable who seems quote unquote, easily likable, and to stretch our imaginations beyond what we take for granted as universal and essential. Women and people of color need to be able to see themselves represented in narratives as protagonists. But just as importantly, white people need to see more narratives with non-white protagonists and men need to see narratives about women and non-binary people. There's so much else to say, but I wanna add one more thing, a word about statues. I've heard over the last month, a lot of people lamenting the loss of these statues as though people are trying to quote unquote, erase history. I'm a bit confused by that because our history isn't a single essential unmoving thing. History is our current narrative about what happened in the past. History, in other words, is written in the present. Those statues are offering us false narratives. They hold up certain figures as heroes while erasing the fact that their successes happened at the expense 
the oppression, the exploitation, and the killing of Black people. Getting rid of those statues isn't about erasing history, it's about rewriting it. Until now, we've been telling bad stories about our culture, and it's time for us to start telling some better ones. Yes, very, very well said. Yeah, I remember hearing someone say when I was a kid that history is just a story told by the winners. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. One thing that I think is also not really as obvious to Canadians is that the Civil War wasn't about the South wanting to separate for no reason, right? The Civil War was the South revolting against the liberation of Black slaves. So the South was in effect fighting that war because they wanted to bring Black slavery. Robert E. Lee, who's a quote-unquote hero of the Civil War, is somebody who's actively working against the interests of Black people and in the, like, the service of their subordination and enslavement and violence and cruelty. That's not the kind of hero that we want on a statue. No, that statue belongs in a river. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are... She's Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark. Hello listeners, welcome to season two of She's, She's Gotta, gotta have, it. have It! Exclamation mark! <laughs> that was a rusty one, but trusty. it was a rusty one because rusty but trusty season we, two because <laughs> this is our first attempt at a social distancing podcasting social recording distancing session podcasting recording session and lisa wagner has done a lot of work to try and make sure that your listening experience is as enjoyable as possible yes and but we are uh, still working on it so we're working on it so apologies for sounding maybe like one or both of us might be in tin cans. We are not. <laughs> <laughs> we just feel like it. <laughs> yes. But I am in pajamas, but I'm often in pajamas, even when we have guests in the podcasting room. So that's the same. <laughs> you don't need to tell them that. <laughs> uh, amazing. We are back with season two. And now that we have this whole zoom setup happening we might be bringing in a few more guests that, yes. via this this route for for the sessions for you and i we're going to be talking about fleabag season one mm -hmm. and so today we're going to be talking about fleabag season one episode one shall we dive into what we want yes and it's funny of course I got all prepared for this, including reading that article you sent over, and then I did not put what I would have thought into the what I want. Amazing. Um, it will amazing. come from the heart. It will. Meow. Um, <laughs> shall I go first? Go first if you have a something, yes. I want so many things, listeners, because I am a solo isolator, as are you. I mean, mm -hmm. you have a housemate, sort of, yeah. um, who you see. I'm really a solo isolator. I live alone. I've been very isolated for a while. And March and April were basically six degrees cloudy and rainy the entire time. <laughs> and I think I got a little depressed. And this week, this week, the weather is finally lifting, which means that people are not social distancing as well as they should be, which I'm not interested in moralizing or shaming people at all but I would just like to gently encourage our listeners to wear masks, especially when you are in an enclosed environment and to uh, take care to social distance so that we can all get through this bullshit as fast as we possibly can. Amen. So, and I say this also as a solo isolator who's like, please, I need to hug people again. 
<laughs> so what happened was throughout this pandemic, there's, uh, I, am, I am dating somebody at the moment and uh, we've been doing social distance walks. It's sort of weird when my life, I'm so used to having a, a wide, wide variety of friends in my life that I see all the time on a rotating basis. And suddenly I was mostly just seeing this one person and that was fantastic. And I actually wrote an article about this that was published in She Does the City called Desire in the Age of COVID. If anyone wants to check that out, just going to give myself check a it out. There. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had not realized until this week how much I was missing my friends. And I went for my first social distancing walk with somebody who isn't my boyfriend on Wednesday. Uh, I went with my friend, Anthony, who, um, uh, the other thing is, is like between the weather being terrible and also my friends having academic deadlines as the semester was ending and as they were frantically trying to figure out how to put classes online, people have been too busy or it's not really been conducive to go out for walks. So finally went for a walk with my friend, Anthony, and it was like a milkshake for my soul <laughs> is is the best way I can, I can, I, I came, I came home from that walk feeling high in like the best way. Like I just felt like I'd had an injection of a life force in me. And so I realized how desperately I need that in my life again, even at a distance. So this week I have been uh, booking in social distance walks with people who live near me. So that's taking some creativity and also some more video chats. Cause I, I do like the odd video chat. Uh, some, some people are easier on video chats than others. Zoom is still an interesting thing to figure out. It's often very draining. That is the thing that I want is just more FaceTime with people I love who live close to me. Nice. Yeah. I have not yet started that, but I'm going to do social distancing walks. I've spoken with you about it and also with Annabelle about it. Yeah, yeah. because especially if we can meet in the middle, that would be very possible. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, I did think of a thing while you were speaking. Oh, good. I want to continue. Uh, I guess I'll step one step back. The example I gave you when earlier, I think last week already it was, I had for a long time wanted to be on a board and I had applied and had an interview, and then I suddenly really realized it was too much, yeah, I'd bitten off too much I could chew, and then kind of pulled back from it. As much as that felt a tiny bit sad, because in the moment it felt kind of like an ambition that I wanted and then wasn't ready for, I actually just realized how great that was, because I was clear to me if I would have done that, excellent board post with the with great folks i would have thrown myself in and i realized i would have crashed i'm gonna say a hundred percent just thinking about how I, what i would have done so i guess i felt really pleased that i had that realization in the proper early time and i feel like i want more impulses like that for myself that truly are the best thing and to have the wherewithal to, to listen to them. It's interesting that still fits in with my ambition because it actually is like that. It's almost like self-care for my ambition <laughs> to like mm -hmm. keep mm -hmm. it going and to keep it alive when I realize that I can't do some things I had in mind. And that's fine. I was like, you know, I always had the idea that I would, you know, run production companies, be on boards, but maybe I'm, maybe that's not, I don't need to do that. Do you know what I mean? Just because someone can doesn't mean they have to. So yeah, more of that kind of thinking for myself so that I can maintain my ambition. Yeah, and I think, you know, also knowing that that did not come from a place of like fear, that came from a place of like self-knowledge and self-worth really because you were like, it's not gonna be good for me if I crash. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was from a different place. And because so much stuff is going so excellently in my career, even though it's COVID right now and I am thriving, 
in this do, less doing space. Yeah, I think that those were elements that got me to that place. And I'm now planning, yeah, a large scale installation for uh, it to 2022. So that has actually just been to my advantage. So I'm going to really do my best to take the best, most exquisite, slow care of myself to be able to keep the train going without detours or crashes, unless it's a detour that makes sense in some way. So, Fleabag. Sure, let's Fleabag. Let's Fleabag it up. Okay, so we are looking at Season one, episode one. The series itself is a hilarious and poignant window into the mind of a dry-witted, sexual, angry, grief-riddled woman as she hurts herself, hurls herself, (laughs) hurls herself at modern living in London. And it is, it was created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge based on her Edinburgh Festival show of the same name. And I personally, as someone who created Fringe shows, I love the fact that not that long ago, it had been a fringe show. I don't know the amount of years, but she she was winning Emmys. So it's I just love that that direct through line from small and personal to large in scope. Definitely. I don't feel like we need to do summaries for these because they're sort of Yeah, they are very They're short and they're a bit, you know, all over the place. So I feel like we can you can also cut this ramble out if you want. Or not, or leave it in and let it be the chaos that it is. <laughs> <laughs> Some behind-the-scenes content listeners. Or that could be a blooper. There we go. Yes. So many options. So many options. (laughs) I demand demand that this is a blooper. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, yes. So do you want to, because you were the one who suggested that we do this, do you want to say a little bit about why? I suppose just in terms of desire... It was lovely, sort of like with Nola Darling that we had talked about our last episode of last season, to see a woman that is so confident in her sexuality and then takes action in this way. So that was just immediately appealing to me. And also, yeah, in this unashamed way. And then also, you and I talked about the series Love already way back, but the main character of Love and Fleabag, they both have this like, they're such real and like glorious messes (laughs) that also seem almost like unabashed in their messedness. (laughs) So that really also stuck with me. I, you do see it more and more now. We had actually talked about that also in I Love Dick, but she also has the eye contact with the camera that has that feeling of real camaraderie, like she's actually talking to, to you as the viewer. So I think those were just the just three things that really stuck out with me that makes it feel intimate. And then it's she's a real interesting woman that I want to know what she's thinking and I want to see what kind of stuff she does. Yes. Yeah, I was uh, I was struck by um, the direct address and how confessional it is, but also how funny it is. Is it's almost like we're her diary mm-hmm. or something that she's got this sort of other audience that she's dumping all these thoughts into. I find it, yeah, it's very hunchy. It has a certain kind of style that is like very compelling, and it's conf- it's confessional in a way that is also very like it's a vulnerable but it's very powerful yeah it also just provides this dimension into into a character's head in a way that often television makes more difficult right like often you only get that in novel writing where you can kind of see the interior monologue of a character yes that's that is true you really do see the interior monologue and so we do kind of connect 
it is this powerful connection with her and she is this gorgeous mess but because we have this insight in, and intimacy with her i am so very on her side and i also just see it as like a beautiful thing even though it's a messy thing and i also like how phoebe waller bridge for such for being as young as she is she's already created astounding work like i can't imagine what kind of stuff she's going to come up with in her old age i'll be watching hard the whole time yeah and then i also thought with this story that already in the first episode they do start to tell the story of again with the friend and the, the actual tragic story of of the flea of flea bag and that's another thing I really like is the general tone. And this was the, the, the style of work that I, the style of storytelling that I was actually sort of working towards. I'm not saying I was there at all, but I think I had mentioned in our production company, we used to call them white tragedies, which was always like, that doesn't sound right. Cause it sounds like. Some <laughs> sounds conflict. racialized in a way now that it wouldn't have back then. Yeah. It had even sort of sounded weird back then, but I just, okay. that was just my own word for it because it's, I love stories that are essentially tragic stories because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, the, the world and interesting things are kind of like tr tragic, but then the moments end up being funny to hilarious more because of the lens of the storyteller. Yeah. So, so she, as we're just sort of breaking this apart, I realized that's actually my, my very favorite storytelling. So you get taken along, like you said, where you feel very much like, you feel like you're right there with her, like at the table with her, like she's holding your hand and pulling you through and being like, oh my God, this guy, check it out. Like it's really, it really does feel extremely intimate. And that's also the, the excellent writing and then her performance too. Like it's, it really, she's like the whole package. Yeah, exactly. Any thoughts about the, the episode itself? I feel like as watching it today, thinking about that, it really is a very tight introduction mm -hmm. to the story because that's another thing I feel like Phoebe Waller-Bridge is, is such an excellent storyteller in terms of that simplicity of storytelling and how you don't have to show very much. Like in this first episode, she'd already said a few sentences about her stepmother, who her father is now sleeping with. Played brilliantly by Olivia Coleman. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. This is, I think, I mean, Olivia Coleman is so good at everything, but this might be my favorite role of hers because it's like <laughs> yeah. later on and you find her sex exhibition is just the, the greatest thing. <laughs> forgot about that. And it's also just set up really well too. Like, you know, she talked about how when she was drunk, she'd gone back to an ex and yelled in his letterbox. And then yeah. it's set up and you think that's going to happen. And in fact, she's going to yell in her, in her father's letterbox because she's so mm. kind of messed up. It's such a cry for help. And in that short little scene with her father and her godmother that he's sleeping with that she despises, you get so much information about the relationship, mm -hmm. both of them. And it's hilarious and it's also heartbreaking. Um, I mean, it's, it's amazing actually, cause it is only like a, what, 24, 25 minute episode. Yeah. And we see, like, we see the initial sex scene, which is with this guy that she's now kind of hooking up with, which really reminded me so much of dating in New York city. That is another story. <laughs> and then we see her on the bus and she's like making eyes at that guy who, who then asks, even though she's sort of not really attracted to him, we shouldn't say that verbally, but we, we get a little bit of that in terms of her facial expression and how she looks at the camera mm -hmm. after he smiles at her and he's got the wonky teeth. He's got that wonky British teeth. And then when he's asking about her ex, you know, is she, cause she says, oh, I've, I've just broken up with somebody and we're seeing flashbacks to Harry. 
which is just so much information about their relationship, what Harry's character is like, what her sexual, what their sexual relationship was like, and, and how there was a dissonance between their sexual styles, we can say, maybe generously. And then the relationship with her sister, and then like, she, oh, yeah. you know, she goes to her father's place and we meet her stepmother. And then like, we see kind of, at, you know, and then we have more and more flashbacks to her best friend throughout. And then at the end, we finally get that story about how her friend died. Yeah. And oh my God, her masturbating to Obama is like my favorite thing. And then she's like, also like, she's like, I was just watching the news. Like, I don't know, it's just, it is so indescribably funny and awesome. And oh yeah, and her and, yeah. does, do we ever get her? I know Boo is like the, what she calls her best friend. Does she have a, another name that I just can't remember at this moment? She probably does. I, I can't remember, I can't remember it either. Yeah. Fleabag and Boo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they, you just see the love, like when they're sitting there drinking and singing together, like it's, it's like, it's seeping in in the, the love in their history. And it's interesting, like, imagine almost any Hollywood best friends drinking after a work scene. And, and then imagine that. Like, it's just a whole other thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. you yeah. see so much humanity and so much of them. And then that scene where she's, they're trying on the clothes and she does come in with that kind of weird looking <laughs> shirt on like that. You can so see, like, it's so true <laughs> and so funny in this universal way. <laughs> I guess that, that shirt looks like so comfortable. It looks exactly like the kind of thing I would wear and some other like more fashion or oriented friends of mine would be like, take that off, like go put your pajamas back on or whatever kind of thing. So yeah. I guess that also felt, yeah, kind of resounded. So yeah, it's such in 24 minutes or whatever you said, I feel like it, 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 instead of, it doesn't, it shows, it doesn't tell. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you, get yeah. the, you feel it all the way through. You see the real connections of those folks. And it's interesting, and her with Olivia Coleman, when I watched it this time too, again, they're just both such like consummate actresses, but they'll just be like smiling at each other and then they give her like a little side kiss. And it just says the whole universe, like the whole universe has just passed between them. Especially British people um, communicate in that way. So I, I, I think I, I remember asking you, we paused it and I said at some point, like, did you see that? I've known a few people who really miss a lot of British, really British shade subtext <laughs> yeah. because you're right the kiss was very cold it was very perfunctory and performative and very cold but even before that there's this moment where Fleabag's up there and, sh and she's saying oh you know what are you doing and she's like oh I'm painting I I uh I find nights quite peaceful normally yeah <laughs> it's just sort of like she says it with this ha ah, sort of smile but it's like it's she's so basically just like I know she just you like, are interrupting my my artist flow bitch like that is what the subtext of that was oh, oh my god it's so perfect and I would also just like to say while we're on the topic of the stepmother um how so you're right there is the sex exhibition that I think is in season two perhaps no you know what you're it's season one it's the end of season one. the end of season one yeah and uh, so the stepmother that Olivia Coleman plays, whose name I forget, is so sexual and does kind of really foreground that. And I think what's interesting to me in this series is just showing the ways that it's just showing a lot of women's sexuality that you that you don't normally see because it's so often moralized. And I think like older women who are very sexual are often seen as like inappropriate in a special way yes exactly ridiculous grotesque yeah 
you know, because like Fleabag is definitely sexual in some, and in some ways in, in quite, I don't want to say grotesque ways, because it's not like, I'm not, it's not a judgment on her at all, but it is in these like really extreme kind of like, like, you know, because, well, there's another, another aspect of this that I, I kind of want to bring up and we can think about it as the series goes on because I don't have an answer for it, is that she does have this relationship to her desire that we don't often see, especially in younger women. But I also feel like some of this is a compulsion for her. It's not just about desire, right? There's a kind of mix of the two. Yeah, and that is an interesting thing because I feel like even with myself, because I did have a always a high drive for that, someone's like, oh my God, like what happened to you that you have that? So it is interesting that I, I feel like it's definitely colors things, but it doesn't have to be all about that. So I think it's really realistic the way that right. she's crafted it in. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not, and I don't think it is just about compulsion. I think it'd be easy to say that it is like, I think it'd be easy for somebody to be like, oh, well, like obviously she's using this to like escape something. And it's like, well, also, it looks like this woman has a really high sex drive, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, she's literally watching Obama. Like, and I, there's a, there's, I'm not going to lie. I really relate because it's like, especially now in the age of Trump, right? Like you watch Obama and I'm like, oh my God, oh my this God. is so hot. I know. Like, I just... <laughs> and he looks like, he looks so smart and he's like thinking stuff and he's like, yeah, like, and I'm like, <laughs> And the way that he is with Michelle, like he's so love, like he's so amazing with her and so touchy and loving, you know what I mean? Everything I know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, I mean, just like, why is she with, I mean, this is another question, which is why is she with this hairy guy? I mean, I guess he's like, he fawns over her and he kind of like provides some sort of, I don't know if it's comfort or stability or, or self-esteem boost or something like where he keeps coming back to her and there's something that is, she's obviously that's in that for her, but I mean, just, it's so, and I mean, just the way that it's portraying this man's sexuality in contrast to hers, which is so, I mean, both of them are stepping way outside their gender norms, right? Because she's extremely sexual. She's masturbating in bed next to her boyfriend, which, you know, like, I mean, if you listen to the Savage Love cast, I mean, I think there were two calls last week of women isolating, complaining that their boyfriends were masturbating but not sleeping with them. Anyway, like, it's just, this is a whole thing that I think is very confusing when partners complain about their their partner masturbating, like, as though that's cheating or that's, like, wrong, but that's what Harry's perspective obviously is. And it's like, whoa, like, how did she end up with this guy who has this really puritanical view of sex, this really kind of like innocent, naive. And is it still with the same guy when they have that example that, what is the thing with he cleans the apartment when they break up and has something to do with like sex? Is that is that also with Harry? Yes, I, I don't remember. I don't remember what it was, but she was like, oh, it's getting dirty, let's break up. Anyway, but it's just, yeah, it seemed like almost like he's like like a parody of, of like some kind of like two-dimensional woman do you know what i yeah, mean like it's yeah. like he cleans and he doesn't have sex and like yeah yeah and he he wants them to like at some point he suggests they both stop masturbating and just save themselves for each other and she's like right and then he finds porn on her <laughs> on her uh web browser history and he they get into another fight this is gonna be rife for spoilers everyone just so you know yeah you want you maybe want to go watch all of season one before you <laughs> listen to us yeah. what was the other thing i was gonna say oh yeah to pivot if I may or unless you wanted to add anything else about people's sexuality the other thing I like that isn't just about sexual desire is about how I find it just really refreshing to see this woman who genuinely isn't 
trying to hide all of the weird insecurities she has like the 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 things that that these days I feel people get shamed for so for like so the example I'm thinking of is when they're in that hilarious feminist talk (laughs) TED talk or whatever it is and the, the I mean it's just I mean everything every choice in this series is just so brilliant like the woman comes out she's very conservative looking she's very kind of like mild mannered and like gentle when she speaks and says like I don't know about everyone else but I need some reassurance (laughs) and like who would who would trade five years of their body or five years of their life for the so-called perfect body and they like stick their hands right up in the air because they're just like obviously (laughs) (laughs) no one else does and then her sister's like dying and falling underneath the the chair I, I just really like that because it's very honest because even though we're not supposed to still want these things as feminists people do yeah we do like you can't just you can't just go in there and flick switches and 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 change your programming right like there are all these things we're trained to want and to feel and for you know another another example of this is maybe also and this isn't isn't exclusively a gendered thing but i think there's definitely a gender dimension to this which is that you know like women internalize that their value is like as sexual objects or aesthetic objects and so like that becomes a focus of a lot of people's identity. And I think that there's something about that for Fleabag, even if that doesn't totally explain why she is the way she is. There's some element of like that internalization of the male gaze mm-hmm. that she finds very compelling. And I think is the reason that she gets angry at him, uh, at the guy that she meets on the bus when they go out on a date and she wants to sleep with him. And she's like, what the fuck is your problem? And he doesn't want to. I'd forgotten about that until watching it again today. And I think it's, yeah, it's because that, yeah, she took that as such an aff- affront mm-hmm. when he didn't want to have sex with her right away. And he's yeah. just, bless his heart, so confused. Yeah, So genuinely was. perplexed. Yeah, and she also doesn't respond with anger too much, like, to people. Do you know what I mean? So it's interesting, of all the things, like, that seemed to, like, arouse a, an, a, an aggressive response mm. in her more than other things. But I guess, it, I think it is what that, because that's her... Yeah, her value. And I think she's so used to everyone saying yes in that department. So it really mm-hmm. was like shocking mm-hmm. for her. I thought that I was just thinking again of the openings, the opening scene that I think we hadn't really talked about, but it was with her and oh, was that? Now I'm actually just confused. The opening scene with with the anal sex that she talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that with the same fiance? No. Or was that with that a was with, that was a different fellow? That was with her, the hookup guy. So okay. there's hookup guy, there's bus guy, and there's Harry. Harry fiance. Yeah. So in my mind right now, I thought that that was fiance again, but that just that, that whole thing was so, was so funny. She's like, you're a little drunk. So I let him. <laughs> and yeah. then she was so relaxed and she's like, he touched your face. Anyway, that whole thing was, I think too, because we were literally in the moments with her as it was sort of happening. And then as she's figuring it out mm-hmm. and then her response to it is, yeah. So cool that it seems like a typical male response to stuff, but I find, I found it very interesting and funny. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Again, because yeah, he's so emotional about it the next morning, and she's like a bit freaked out. But she was like, but it was sort of touching how emotional he was. I couldn't, I couldn't like dismiss that. And even just the way she set stuff up, like, and then he said, "Thank you, genuinely." Or no, yeah, thank you. Like it was just so inexplicably funny to have her tell you what she was thinking, and then and then you see it. Yeah. Yeah, and then it was a perfect sort of also tone setter because that was sort of the end of the first 
the first sort of scene, do you know what I mean? Like of that you sort of see her in and then, and then she was like, do I have the most, whatever, enormous asshole? <laughs> so it's got, it, it literally almost turns into like a comedy boing, do you know what I mean? And yeah. then it is an interesting question. Cause honestly, I had already thought like, it's just, it's an interesting thing. Like the guy's like, cause normally it hadn't worked before you. So it did have like, it had a funny intonation like in it. Mm-hmm. Our funny uh, yeah, uh, question in it almost. And mm-hmm. yeah, and it just caused a great, it just not caused, it, sh- it showed an excellent tone that mm-hmm. really also, back to what you're saying with the simplicity of or the, 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 the amount of stuff that can be told in a simple moment, you got such a good sense of her and it was so naturally funny. Yeah. I'm actually really curious if something sim- like that same kind of thing happened to her. Yeah. I don't think everything had to, like with storytellers like her, I feel like she definitely probably cherry picks other people's stories and, and yeah. adds to it. But yeah. some of the things felt like too, I wouldn't be too surprised. Too weird. To <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. But it is incredible to really analyze it now. Like I love, I love her relationship with all the different characters. I do agree. The question, the, the fiance, I'm, I, it's not clear why she's chosen him. But I was wondering just intellectually, maybe because he is like a good choice. It seems like he's got money and stuff. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so she kind of maybe went for a safer choice. And then she was like, nah, wait a minute. But then it was, yeah, kept going back. But the relationships are so like delicious and interesting and not what you expect. And I also really love the character of her sister and the way they are together. It feels unusual. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, they have a real authentic dynamic that still has a meanness to it, but not the like, Hollywood mean sister thing at all. Like it's so completely fresh and real. <laughs> when her sister goes to hug her and she doesn't know what's happening. And oh she my God. Yes. Her. That, that's a really interesting scene. Cause you can see like both of them. And that also, it's so informative. Like you can see that they're not, they're so not used to hugging that they literally both sort of freaked out. Cause they didn't she know what it was. her away like a, like a bug. Like a bug. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God, it's so funny. Oh, and then just also one other line that stuck with me that I thought was interesting. Remember the, the sister was like, I have I have a husband and a something and, and a Burberry coat. Like that was like- Two her, degrees, a husband, husband and, and a, a Burberry, Burberry, Burberry coat. coat. That was like the thing that she yelled out as like her credentials in life. And that <laughs> yeah. really struck me as hilarious. And then later on you meet her husband and he is, he is not like a trophy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just an interesting thing to no. have said that. Yeah, and in she, fact, there's a lot of ways in which he's a little bit like Fleabag, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that was a very wonderful line. I've got two degrees, a husband, yeah. and a Burberry coat. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, like it's not only, yeah, it's exactly. It's like, it's like the perfectly written comedy joke, like the exact right details in the exact right order. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like a joke and then it's got this rhythm and then yeah, it's accurate. Yeah. yeah. And so I think the last thing I want to talk about is just the final, final scene where she's in the cab and the driver's like, oh, you know, like, are you on your own? And she's like, yeah, it's a funny story. And he's like, oh, tell me. And, and she, and she tells the, the unfunniest story she could possibly tell. And it is sort of such a contrast to the rest of the show, which has been much lighter in tone, right? And has been avoiding that kind of darkness. And she tells it in this way where she's obviously like, completely hasn't dealt with her feelings about it but she's also like I mean it's just such a kind of compilation of the entire episode because she's in the back of this cab with no shirt on because she has been caught having stolen her sister's sweater and having to give it back literally her sister takes the shirt off her back and then she steals this torso 
piece of art from her stepmother that is supposed to represent like a, a woman's sort of ferocity or like women is like warriors or something. She says something really cheesy, but like that. And um, and she pulls it out of her pants, which just pull, seemed perfect. She pulls it right out of her pants. <laughs> and, but the thing is, is like her torso is aligned in the same angle. And so there is a kind of parallel between the two of them. But there is this sort of golden torso that's like ostensibly to 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 stand for the the strength and the ferocity of women, and then there's Fleabag next to her with the bra and her open coat, and just being the kind of like the mess that she is. The fact that like underneath her coat, there's like sort of you know what I mean, like this sort of secret she has because she's yeah. had to like give the this sweater away. It just the image of that is just so. Again, it's such great storytelling, right? It's exquisite. I hadn't noticed that with the torso and the torso, but yeah, it's the real deal of like storytelling in, yeah. a, in a simple way. And, and it's interesting though, because it is, it, then the story does become somber and sad, but because she's such an interesting storyteller, it's still like, it, you know what I mean? You're taking it, it's like so sad, but she's taking it through it almost like with that kind of drunken yeah. cab storytelling. Yeah. And it's just so powerful. And I have never seen that. I've never seen, of all the moments I've seen a million times in things, I've never seen someone in a cheery, drunken tone like that tell a really dark story that then built, that then sets up the rest of this really dynamic thing. So yeah. I think it gets a lot of points for stuff I haven't seen before, which is, I think, huge for me. It's very succinct and careful in its storytelling just all of it every detail it's amazing and i feel it's got organic plot points despite mm -hmm. them being quite intense mm -hmm. like even the way the guy's like oh tell me that story in the cab cab yeah. drivers do do that because they're sitting there like yeah it just it it just felt very organic all the way through despite to the point get it the, the it hits absurdity sometimes like especially with the with the um stepmom and stuff but so grounded and real with all of those excellent performers as well yeah it's really quite something and and i am so glad that phoebe waller bridge has been getting all the accolades for it now because it's really incredible definitely definitely okay well i think that's all i have to <sighs> yeah. say about it but i'm excited to watch the rest of the series yeah because clearly um, we like it a little bit <laughs> we like it a little bit like it a lot and so before we wrap up i will say two things listeners which is please do let us know on our facebook page how we're doing and also if you want to tell us what you want we want to hear that read it out um also please go to apple podcasts and rate and review our podcast because if you rate it especially if you give it Five stars, for example. No pressure. Uh, no pressure at all. Uh, we're not going to know. We won't know. That will help other people find our podcast. And you may also leave us uh, a detail or two about what you want on your review. So we will read out those reviews as we get them, if that helps motivate you to to write one. And I think that's I think that's it. Is there anything else that's you want it. to say? No, besides that, it just feels really good to be back. And I'm very excited to, yeah, to talk about Fleabag and to just keep it going. So thank you, internet, so that we can do this. All right. Well, now that we've, we've said, said it, it, we got to get, get it. That wasn't very together on my part, but. You know what? We're, okay. we're working on it. We're it's working totally, on it. Yep. We're in a pandemic. We're doing a good job. We're we're all just <laughs> we're all just doing our best. 
<laughs> that is a line I need to repeat to myself internally at least five times a day. Yeah. <laughs> we're, all, we're all just doing our best. For little too.